The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Well, look with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks to the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He had, he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So how did he get that righteousness? Before he was circumcised and he received it by faith. Then he says, the purpose was to make him the father, not just simply of his ethnicity, sons and daughters, but of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised, who were not, who were not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May you, you hear the word of God preached this day for God's glory. Please be seated. So for any of you who own retail stores, I want to give you a hint. Um, for people like me, um, my wife, when I go shopping with her, it is not my desire. It's my desire to be with her, but not shopping. I do that because I want to be with her, and she told me that I was supposed to go, so we go. And uh, one of the things that I do not like uh, at all is to go into a store that doesn't realize there are people like me that don't really want to be there. So if you want me to be there um, while my wife shops, then you need to start putting chairs in your store. I hate it to walk in a women's store with no chairs for men to sit in uh, while 
we endure these moments. And uh, so, um, but I, I do have a little bit about shopping. And I know one of the things when you want to capture somebody's attention at shopping, there's a little thing that if you, if it's true and you put it there, it's good. And that's this, guaranteed. When I'm looking at something, I always like to know, is it guaranteed? And then I like to read, is there any small part, small print underneath it, guaranteed? Well, the guarantee is crucial. And that's where we are in the text today that we're about to read. God makes two guarantees in this text. You know, I've really been, it's really been interesting to me as we've been working our way through Romans. And now we're in Romans chapter 4. It's, it's interesting. Now, some of you that do the studies and everything, you probably noted what I've known. Chapter 3, everyone's really excited about as everything comes to this glorious conclusion of a kind of a concluding statement. You know, Paul uh, has identified himself. He's identified his love for the church at Rome, his desire to be there. He has given his purpose of this epistle very clearly. I'm writing about the gospel of God. He's given the passion for this purpose. I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm unashamed of the gospel of God. He has given us these two glorious pinnacle blessings of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the righteousness of God unto salvation. Then he has done the hard work of laying the groundwork as to why the gospel of grace is necessary if anyone's going to be saved and how amazing the gospel is because he has taken all of humanity and brought us to the bar of God's justice and everyone's indicted and he ends it at Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is the indicted and the indictment that we're all under sin, that we have all sinned, and that we are all under the wrath of God, and we are helpless and we are hopeless. Because he not only gives the indictment, he gives a profile of the the indicted. None seek him. No, not one. No one wants him. No, Well, Harry, I wanted him. The only reason you wanted him to seek him was that he sought you and changed your Warner. He changed your Warner. And that's why, that's what happened. It is of him and the power of God was at work upon dead sinners and the righteousness of God is there to save sinners. So he has done this glorious work and brought us to that point. But Paul also has done something else. Paul knows that whenever you preach and teach the gospel, you're going to get opposition. And part of the opposition is people will misrepresent, no matter how hard you work, and every preacher and teacher who loves Jesus and loves the word is going to work hard to be as clear as as they possibly can. But they're still going to be misrepresented. They're still going to be uh, they're still going to receive accusations and charges. And Paul knows what those charges are because Paul used to make them. And Paul gets after what he knows. He knows he's going to be misrepresented. He knows that out there people say, Paul's not preaching the Old Testament. Paul's not preaching the gospel uh, of, of God and who God is and how God saves God. He knows that they're doing that. He knows out there there are people who say, hey, we're the children of Abraham. What are you talking about? And so the Apostle Paul surfaces their questions and he knows what they are because he's heard them and he had them. He used to boast. 
So he says, where is boasting in chapter 3, verses 30, uh, 27 through 31? He says, um, he not only used to boast, uh, he used to declare the fact that, um, that you're saved uh, by your works. He says, so where is boasting? Where is this law of faith as opposed to a law of works? And he's the one that said, if you want to be saved, you've got to be a Jew. You've got to be circumcised. So he knows the question, where is boasting? He knows the question, by what law, by what principle is boasting excluded? He knows the third question. Does God save Jews and Gentiles? Does God save Gentiles? Does God save Gentiles unless they become Jews? That is, they receive the sign of the circumcision. And now we come to his last question. He's already surfaced these questions, all four of them. He has surfaced them and he gave an immediate answer in chapter 3. He gave that immediate answer. His boast, he said, where is our boasting? He says, it's excluded. Well, by what law? Law of faith. So he's given the questions and he's given the answers. Because God both the, is God the God of both Jews and Gentiles? He says, God's one. God made them and God can save them. But he doesn't stop there. He now takes these questions and he moves to what we call chapter 4. And when you get to chapter 4, all of chapter 4 is designed to answer these questions, not in a short form, but in an expounded form and with illustration. And he knows the illustration to go to because he knows what those who are misrepresenting him are saying. They're saying, what do you mean saved? We're the children of Abraham. That's who we are. And Paul's instinct takes over. And Paul's instinct isn't his logic. Paul's instinct is not his gift of meeting something head on as a lawyer to destroy it. God, his instinct is what does the scripture say? So I'll tell you about Abraham. Abraham didn't rejoice when he saw circumcision. Abraham didn't rejoice when he saw law. Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. The day of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. And so what he does, what an ingenious move. He goes back to the scripture. He goes directly. He goes directly to the life of Abraham. And now he answers the questions with exposition and illustration from Abraham's life. Where is boasting? He said, I'll tell you where it is. It's excluded because you're not saved by works. If you're saved by works, you got something to boast about. But we're not saved by works. Our salvation is not a meritorious work whereby we get what's due. If our salvation is by works, yeah, you can boast all you want to. Just like when you get your wages for what you're, what you're due when you work. But we're not saved by our works. We are saved by Grace through faith. That's how we're saved. We are not saved by our works. We're saved by the finished work of Christ. And then Christ himself gives us by the spirit the gift of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. So we have nothing to boast about. And all you got to do is go to Abraham. Genesis 15.6. How was Abraham saved? He gives it to you. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Abraham received a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God, by faith through the power of God, so that now he's got that righteousness that he has not worked and earned, but that he has received and rested on. Something that was counted to him. And what by what law? Not by the law of works, but by the law of faith. By the law of works, no flesh shall be justified. And all you got to do is look at Abraham. That's the guy that two times was going to deliver his wife over to get killed to save himself. That's the guy that would uh, falter in faith. Certainly, by God's grace, he did things that were honoring to the Lord, but he also showed that he was a sinner. So he can't be saved by his works because the wages of sin is death. And we have all sinned, including Abraham. So how was he saved? He was saved by grace through faith. It was the law of faith that the saving faith that Christ gives, whereby we rest in him alone. Now, certainly Abraham did not understand all that we understand about Christ, but it was still the righteousness of Christ that saved him. He was believing God that he would fulfill his promises. And the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So it is the righteousness of God that saves him. And it was not by his works. Well, didn't, I know, yeah, but Paul, if Gentiles want to be saved, they got to get to be Jews first. They got to get circumcised. Paul says, really? Yeah. Abraham was circumcised. Paul says, yep, you're right. I could almost see him chomping at the bit when that one's coming. He said, yep, it, he was saved. Genesis fifteen six. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Can Gentiles be saved or do they have to be circumcised first? Well, let's just look at Abraham. Let's look at the scripture. When was he saved? Genesis 15. When was he circumcised? Genesis 17. In fact, he said, let me be more precise with you. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was saved by grace prior to becoming a Jew. Let me be even more pointed. Abraham was saved as a Gentile. That's what he was. So here's your answer. Well, well, hold it. Wait, Paul. We got one more question. We got a fourth question for you. We are the people that have been given Torah. We got the law. We got the law. We are the stewards and the adherents of the law. That's what you got to have is the law to be saved. You know, folks, I see people that just kind of skim through chapter four and chapter three at the end of chapter three. And I know they, everybody gets excited about chapters one, two and three. And then we skim through four because we can't wait to get to chapter five. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But chapter four is so rich. All of the solas of the Reformation were mined right out of it. For by grace are you saved through faith. But we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's in Romans 4 that God gives two guarantees. And I am praying that God gives me the ability to communicate them to you today. Because I love you and he loves to save people who know he loves to save people. And I hope and pray you hear this. This is a rich chapter. He not only has expounded those four questions he introduced in chapter 3. He not only illustrates them and expounds them right from the life of, of Abraham. 
But he does so with such clarity, even making a little trip to David as he quotes Psalm 32. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. How blessed is the man to whom, now listen to this, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And what he is telling them is very clearly this. Those people who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are people whose whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And the only reason you don't have iniquity imputed to you is there was another man that went to the cross and your iniquity was imputed to him cursed is he who hung on the tree for you and for me and it's that's the one who blesses you with the power of God and the righteousness of God but Paul the law you can't just get rid of the law can you Paul you got to be an adherent of the law So now he takes that on. Walk through it with me with you. Go with me to Romans 4. Take a look down at verse 13. For this promise. What promise? That Abraham and his offspring. Here's the promise. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Now here's his declaration and his exposition and his illustration. First his declaration. The promise, God's promises to Abraham. Stop right there. Stop right there. Do you remember them? Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation. I am going to give you a seed. And I am going to give you a land. That's what I'm going to do. So Abraham, who is being delivered by the hand of God's grace through the faithfulness of God with promises that God's going to give to him and his offspring. What does it say? What does Paul declare? For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, he's not saying there, listen to me, he's not saying there that faith is righteousness. He is saying that faith is the instrument through which a righteousness from God is given to you. But he's also said something else. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss Remember what I just shared with you? That Abraham, God had made a promise to Abraham, right? And that promise is, I'll give you a seed. That promise is, I'll be with you. And then I'm going to give you a land. What was that land called? This is easy. He made a promise that he's going to give him the land. What do we call that land? This one's easy. Promised land. This, that was easy. That one was a giveaway. He's giving the promised land. Where was the promised land? Very good. Very good. But Palestine, Israel. That land you're thinking about, that was the down payment. Read the text. He'll be the heir to what? The world. This is my father's world. That land, given in the days of David and Solomon and later Hezekiah, was only the down payment. There's another king coming. 
There's another seed that's coming. And in that one, I'm going to give you the world. And when I finish, it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. And a new city will come down and God will be with their people. That's what he promises him. And what does Abraham do? He says, I believe God. Abraham did not ask, would you give me the law? He said, I believe God. And when he believed God, God gave him something even greater than the land. He gave him a righteousness by faith. And what is his offspring? It's not simply those who are circumcised in the flesh. His offspring are all who believe who are circumcised in the heart. Pastor, do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Yes and no. You don't have to be circumcised externally, but you do have to be circumcised in the heart. Here's what Paul says. The true circumcision are those who are circumcised in the heart, who worship God, put no confidence in the flesh, and glory in Christ alone. There is the circumcision that saves us. It is the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts whereby we believe in Him. And that offspring is the offspring of Abraham. All who believe. So keep working with me through this. But there's your declaration. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For Now watch, he begins the exposition. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Now please understand what he's saying there. He's saying, now watch, if if it is by doing the law, adhering to the law, that you get the promise, then the promise is null and void. What is he telling you? He's telling you no one can adhere to the law. No one can work the law. Therefore, you have no chance for the promises. he's, He's giving you a guarantee. The guarantee is if you want to work your way to heaven through adhering to the law, you're done. Can't be done. Faith is void because you're working for your salvation. And therefore the promises are void because it's impossible for you. Now why is that? Well, go, let me just read one more verse and let, let me answer that question. So why, who, listen, who are the heirs of the offspring of Abraham? Is it the adherents of the law that are his offspring? Or is it those who are by faith receiving the righteousness of God through Prompt through the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. So here's what he says in the next verse. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Folks, what he is telling you is this. It, it, for those people, you've got to have the law to be saved. You've got to be adhered to the law. He says, listen, not only can the law not save you, the fact is, if you think you're saved through the works of the law, number one, you can forget the promises because you'll never attain them by your works. Number two, let me tell you what you will attain. Guaranteed. If today you leave here 
and think your sincerity, your resolve, and your and your attempt to do what's good before God is going to get to heaven, you'll end up under the wrath of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because sin is defined by the law. What is sin? Now here, all of my Presbyterian brothers and sisters who went to Sunday school ought to be shouting. Well, I know, I forgot, I used the word Presbyterian. Okay, forget shouting. What you ought to be saying, at least, whispering, not in your head, do something like that. What ought you be saying? Sin is the transgression of, or the one of conformity unto, the law of God. It's a tra- you know, when we pray, remember the Lord's Prayer? Sometimes you're in a place that prays it this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. I've stepped across the boundary. I've broken your law. Now listen, that's not simply a sterile, I didn't do that precept. When we step over or omit sins of commission, trespassing, sins of omission, one of conformity unto or transgression of, that is cosmic treason against a holy God. It's not just, well, I didn't like that one. That one's not too good. And let me just kind of work that nuance, this don't murder, don't commit adultery. Let me, no, no. When we sin in thought, word, and deed, it is rebellion against a thrice holy God. And the law shows us your sin. The law shows us our sin, its sinfulness, and that we are under the wrath of God. It can't save you. It wasn't given to save you. It was given to show you you need a Savior. That's the purpose. You see, the law defines sin, its sinfulness, and our inability. The law has no power to save, and we have no power to use the law to save ourselves. Well, Harry, why do we have the law? Oh, it's good. It's spiritual. There's a reason we just did it. Y'all, those of y'all that got here, we started at 1050. Those of y'all that got here, remember the confession we did? Remember that one? How does it start off? When does God give the law to the people? Well, here's the first thing. When is, when, when is, when is Abraham saved? Genesis 15, 6, right? He believed in the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. When was he circumcised? Genesis 17. Well, we solved that one. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Well, when did he saved? Genesis 15, 6. When did the, the offspring of Abraham get the law? Exodus 20. 430 years later. I mean, Abraham, you got to be saved by the law. Well, let me go find it. Where is it? It's not going to show up revealed for 430 years. And it's going to come through Moses. So you, well, then why is the law given? You just said it. You just said it. You just said it a while ago when you started that confession from the scriptures about the law of God. Hear, O Israel, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who delivered you from the house of bondage. 
And then comes the law. When did God give the law? When they were in bondage or after he delivered them? After. The law wasn't given for them to do to get saved. The law is given to show you your sin, the majesty of a Savior of grace, from God's grace, who sovereignly delivers his people and whose grace is even greater than the sinfulness and the numbers of our sin. And then it's got its evangelistic use. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. It's got its discipleship use. Now that the love of God has laid hold of me and I love God, I want to keep his commandments. So now he teaches me. So here you are in the swirl of a culture, right? You don't do God's law to be saved, but because God has saved, God gave you the law. He showed you you need a Savior. You went to the Savior, and now he's given you this law to show you how you love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not if you keep my commandments, I'll love you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why do we love him? He first loved us. I have delivered you. Now there's a discipleship use of the law. It guides me in how to love the Lord and how to love my neighbor. In this culture right now where everybody's dividing up politically and socially, you unite theologically. What should I do to love the Lord and what should I do to love my neighbor who's made in the image of God in a way that will honor the Lord? This is to guide you in discipleship. So here is the commandments of the Lord that's there to show you evangelistically you need a Savior. Discipleship, how to live for the one that saved you. And then thirdly, when we love it and live it, it restrains sin in society. It stops the mouths of men and women. That's the use of it. Let me tell you what it can't do. It can't save you. And praise God, because Abraham would have had to live 500 years to get saved. So here is the law of God that's been given to us. But there's more to this. I've got to read it for you. And I've got to go very quickly now. So that part was, that, that, man, that's good stuff. I'm, hopefully I got it to you somehow. Look at, look at the next verse. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Not your works. The promise rests on grace and be guaranteed to all. Now, that's interesting. He says, this is why it depends on faith. Why? So that you know it it is guaranteed by grace. We just got another guarantee. If you're trying to work your way to, to heaven through the law, what's a guarantee? You're under God's wrath. But if by faith you confess your sins and put your trust in the God of glory to save you with his righteousness, what do you get? The guarantee of grace. God's grace is greater than my sin. Here's the guarantee. When God by grace gives you faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. There's three great words here. Uh, By, through, and in. By grace, through faith, in Christ. You can't get in Christ without faith, and you can't have faith without grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For now we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying to you. And when God, by grace, 
begins a work, he finishes it. There's your guarantee. Not in your working ability, but God's working ability for you at the cross and in you by his spirit. There is where your assurance is. There is your guarantee. This is why I love, don't you love evangelism explosion? First question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Do you know where you'd spend? Now, 90% of the people I ask that question to give me a works answer. That means they can't know. <laughs> you got to suspend. And I can go ahead and tell you what the answer is going to be. No, you'll be under wrath. But when you're by grace putting your trust in Christ, you can know. One of the reasons the Bible was written was so that you could know. Here's what it says in 1 John 5:13. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. Not hope so, know so. Because God, not me, God is able. He is able to deliver you. And he will deliver you. So when you're saved by faith, that's tied to the guarantee of the supremacy and success of God's grace. And then he goes on, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. In other words, it's not those who have the law that get it. It's those who have faith, whether circumcised or uncircumcised. As it is written, and now you see his reflex back to the scripture. The scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. Back to the scripture I have made you the father of many nations your offspring it's not only going to come out of the Jewish nation they're coming out of all the nations I'm making a royal nations that we will make disciples of all the nations and they will be brought into a royal nation from all the nations throughout the whole world the very gospel is going to spread through the work of the kingdom as it is preached and men and women are brought to Christ. And I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you all know why I'm preaching from Genesis right now? You've got, you will never believe in redemption if you don't believe in the power of God in creation. He, everything you see, wasn't until he spoke. We call it ex nihilo. That which existed was not space, time, and matter that arranged itself in some cesspool accidentally and, and through mutations. It was the hand of the Almighty who brought it into existence and the formless he formed and the empty he filled. It was by his power. And what he does in creation, he does in redemption. We're dead in our sins and he takes us out of a spiritual boneyard with his power as his word from heaven is preached and spoken to your heart and he gives you a new heart and you come to Christ. And he gave you the picture. Let's go back to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. You're going to give who a seed? Well, let me read it. I'm sorry. I stopped. Let me read it. 
He says, I'm going, I have made you the Father, uh, give, um, gives life to the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. Y'all remember how many times I've said hopeless and helpless? And now I'm, this is why I wanted to get to this chapter. Your help is the Lord, the power of God. Your hope is the Lord. See, our salvation is hopeless. Our, we're helpless. We're hopeless. But God is able. With his power and his righteousness. And so in hope he believed against hope. And that, why? Because he believed God and his promises. That he should become the father of many nations. But you see, your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Abraham, you're a hundred, you're gonna have a kid. And by the way, Sarah, uh, she's not exactly a spring chicken. She's 90. Shall I have pleasure at my age? She's 90. And then he says, no unbelief made him waver. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, convinced what? God was able to do what he had promised. Believing that God was able. Anybody, what's the seed that he gets? What's his name? Yitzhak. We call him Isaac. Laughter. And what did Abraham and Sarah do? When God said, you're going to have a kid. I'm a hundred. She's ninety. And then what they do? The laughter of faith. The laughter of faith. He did not waver. Not because he looked at his body or Sarah. But God is able. And that, we're back to down payments. Israel, down payment of the world. Isaac, a down payment to all who believe. And Isaac, a down payment to a greater seed, Christ, who would come not simply to a shriveled womb, but an untouched womb. And the virgin will give birth to the seed. Then he, through the womb of his church spreading the gospel, will give birth and bring dead sinners to life throughout all the nations. There is what he is picturing for us in this text. He said, you want to talk about Abraham and law? I'll be glad to talk to you because Abraham becomes the prime example, not of waiting 500 years for the law, but for living by faith that God is able to do. And then verse 23, but the words as it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. There is our hope that our sins were counted against the Lord and the righteousness of the Lord was counted to us. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Folks, the Bible says this very clearly. God will by no means clear the what? Anybody know? The guilty. We're what? We're guilty. How do we get clear? 
well, let me use inappropriate language here. Not off color, just inappropriate. My English teacher would give me a hard time now. If God will by no means leave the guilty and I'm guilty, I got somewhere I got to get unguilty. How do I get unguilty? God takes our sins and he imputes them to Jesus. Cursed is he who hung on the tree. And then he takes his righteousness, divine righteousness, and imputes it to us. So I'm no longer guilty. I'm forgiven. The gates of hell have been shut. Jesus went there and knocked them down and paid the penalty, grabbed the keys to set us free. And the gates of heaven are now open. My credentials is not my forgiveness. My credentials is the righteousness of Christ. As he brings us. Be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and its power. The power of God brings us from death into life and the righteousness of God brings us from guilt to innocence. You're justified before God. How? Not by the law. That brings wrath. But by grace, that brings you to Jesus through faith. And he brings you home. Why? Because he was delivered up. He was delivered up. Just forget that last verse. Oh, please grab that last verse. He was delivered up because of our transgressions. Jesus would not have gone to the cross if we were not sinners. And if he was not gracious. There would be no need of redemption if you and I had not sinned. He is delivered up because of our transgressions. And there would have been no one to go to the cross if he was not gracious. There's a redemption because there's a redeemer. We provide the occasion for redemption. God delivered up his son. His son delivered up himself. And Hebrews tells us the spirit of God delivered up Jesus to the cross from the garden. Is there any way this cup shall pass from me? Hear the humanity of Jesus. And the Spirit of God brings him to the cross. And he delivers himself up. I delight to do your will, O God my Father. And when he is delivered up, the Father has delivered him up for us all. And how do I know his atonement satisfied the holiness of God for my sins, which are so many, so pervasive, so ready to erupt in rebellion against God, if not for his grace? How can I know? He was delivered up because of our transgressions. Why did Jesus come out of that grave? Now listen to me. He didn't come out to justify you. He came out because you're justified. Because you're justified. He was, look at that last verse. He was delivered up because of our transgression. He was raised because 
of our justification. God had declared his work glorious. So here's your takeaway. The takeaway is pretty simple. There's two guarantees here. May I just personally and pastorally plead with you at this point. I am begging you. I am pleading with you. I have prayed all week for you that when you leave here, you leave here not with the guarantee of wrath of God, but with the guarantee of the grace of God. I am pleading with you. I'm telling you. Your baptism won't save you. Your resolutions won't save you. Your sincerity won't save you. Your tithing won't save you. Your attendance at church won't save you. I love all those things. My goodness, you have no idea how much I love the Lord's Day. You have no idea how much I love the rhythms of the Christian life. But they can't save you. It's only Christ. By grace. Through faith. In Christ. And he's given you a warning. If you're not in him, you're under sin and under wrath. And the work, the law can't save you and you don't have the power to use the law to save yourself. And folks, please listen to me. You're not promised the next breath. You're not promised the next heartbeat. Man knows not his time. I want you to enjoy life now in Christ, and I certainly want you to have eternal life in Christ. And here's what Jesus says to you. John 6, 47. It's the word amen translated truly. I mean, I mean, truly, truly. He, any of you, who believes in me, guaranteed has eternal life. He who believes in me has eternal life. Now you know what the question is. Do you believe in him? Do you know what that question is? You will not believe in him if you don't believe him. He believed God. You will never believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you don't believe God. There's a hell to lose and a heaven to gain. And it's only in Christ that you can gain it. You just can't. You've got to believe Him. Do you believe Him? When I was a kid, 1958, Billy Graham came and did his crusade at the old Charlotte Coliseum. My daddy was going to be an usher. And he said, son, I've worked it out for you to go with me. I said, great. So I went with him. I'll never forget 1958 for three reasons. One was the passion of Billy's preaching, wanting people to come to Christ. And even though I wasn't saved yet, it laid hold of my heart and was part of God bringing me to himself. And I'll always remember what he always says. The Bible says he had the same instinct Paul did. And the second thing I remember is the sanctified use for a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Is you can take up money in those buckets in the Charlotte Coliseum. The third thing was looking at that choir where my mother was and trying to find her. And I saw the summer wear of the women. It was a hot day. 
the men, short sleeves, white shirt, tie. I watched them all. And then I heard that song, just the way Cliff Barrows leads it. Blessed assurance. Guaranteed. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchased of his blood. Filled with his spirit. Washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I pray it's your story. Do you believe God? Then come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together. Holy Spirit, speak, please speak to the hearts of all the men and women and boys and girls that are here today. God, please, I ask you, if there are some here who were yet not seeking but were brought here, I pray that you will nurture in their heart a desire to seek Jesus today. Those who were seeking that came here, may they hear not a work salvation of the law, although we love your law, it leads us to Jesus. But they hear of us grace salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And today they say, God, I believe you. I come. And Father, for those here who know you, I just simply ask, may we have the joy of our salvation. The guarantees of grace. For by grace have we been saved. Through faith and not of ourselves. And when you begin a work, you finish it. May we help those flee the wrath to come and the guaranteed wrath of all who are apart from Christ. And then may we rejoice in the guarantees of God's grace, not our works, God's grace. We put no confidence in the flesh and we glory in Christ. Praising God. All the day long. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. By grace, I am his. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.